in-depth journalism is more important than ever in a complicated, chaotic time. That's why we listen to NPR's Throughline. This is a podcast that appeals to us on so many levels. As history buffs, we love their historical contextualization of important ongoing issues. As storytellers, we love the engaging way they approach and often humanize complicated tales. As news consumers who want to stay informed, we love the way they give the story behind the big stories of the day. We try to take a similar approach on the murder sheet, and we feel confident that our listeners would enjoy giving NPR's Throughline a try. We've been going through their entire backlog recently, listening to them as we drive to source meetings. One favorite of mine was their episode about Andrew Johnson's impeachment. Throughline's coverage didn't disappoint, delving in depth into one of history's worst U.S. presidents. They also did an episode which is rather pertinent to our work, and that was the one they did about the proliferation of conspiracy theories and how they've always been part of America's DNA. That's something I think about quite a lot, given the creep of misinformation and manipulation in online true crime spaces. NPR's Throughline is a source we trust. They're all about nuance and depth and unpacking the messiness behind outwardly simple stories. Go back in time. Learn something new. Emerge more knowledgeable about today's headlines. Listen now to Throughline from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Content warning. This episode includes discussion of child sexual abuse and murder. On our program, we've always tried to keep the focus squarely on the cases we cover and not what is happening to us personally behind the scenes. But over the last few weeks, we've gotten a few questions from people curious about different things. What was the story behind the records request we referred to in regards to the Paul Holes information? Why did we criticize Ashley Flowers? Are we jealous of her? What sort of blowback have we gotten from taking on Flowers? What's the story about us and the captain from True Crime Garage? We believe in transparency and we're happy to address some of those questions. So we'll do so today. If you'd rather stick to our case-focused episodes, then this is definitely one to skip. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. 
We are the murder sheet. And this is Going Behind the Scenes. In our last episode on Delphi, we made a reference to getting some records from the Indiana State Police. Those records included a suggestion that Barbara McDonald of HLN made to the Indiana State Police that Paul Holes be allowed to work on the case. Remember, Paul Holes is an investigator who helped find Joseph D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer, using DNA technology. He later co-hosted Jensen and Holes, the Murder Squad a popular true crime podcast that was recently canceled after Me Too allegations surfaced against his co-host, Billy Jensen. Now, Paul Holes works for HLN, just like Barbara McDonald. Since that episode aired, a number of people have indicated that they're curious about our process. In other words, how exactly did we get those records? How did we know what to look for? This gets a bit complicated, but it started with us hearing a rumor. We're not going to tell you what that rumor is for the simple reason that at this point we don't believe that it is true. But when we first heard it, we thought there was a chance it might be accurate. So what do you do in a situation like that? We take our responsibilities as journalists seriously, and we do not want to put anything in this podcast that we have not confirmed to be true. So when we hear a rumor we start trying to think about ways we can possibly confirm it, or at least get enough evidence to throw it out. In this case, the story we heard involved the media and a member of the Indiana State Police. We decided then to ask for the records from the ISP. Here's the thing. Anyone can ask for government records. That's the law. And any email that an agency like the ISP either receives or sends to someone is indeed a government record. But there's a couple of catches. The most important is that the request you make has to be very specific. It may be easiest to explain that with an example. Let's say, for instance, that I'm a government official, and for some reason, you wanted to know what I ate for lunch most often over the winter, and you imagine that I may have mentioned that in an email to Anya. You could not, for instance, then request every single email sent between Kevin Greenlee and Anya Kane. That would be too broad. You need to be more specific. You need to say something like, you want every email sent between Kevin and Anya in a certain six-month period that contains specific words. Since you want information about my meals, your list of words would probably contain things like lunch, restaurant, food, and so on. If you are lucky, you would end up getting emails back from the government that would indeed answer your question about my dining habits. But you would also very likely get emails on other subjects altogether. 
So Kevin and I made our record request for emails between certain people that contained the words we thought that would most likely appear in correspondence that would confirm the rumor we heard. After a wait of a couple months, we got back some emails which convinced us the story we'd heard wasn't true. And we also got back some completely unrelated emails, including the ones we shared about Paul Holes. That is the story of how we got those records. And, to be absolutely clear, the rumor we were investigating in no way involved Paul Holes. The main thing we would like for you to take away from this is that it is incredibly important for podcasters to confirm things before saying them on their programs. Put a pin in that. We will come back to it later. Now, let's get to Ashley Flowers. As you all know, over the last week, we have re-released two episodes we did last winter that were highly critical of Flowers. People have asked us why we did this in the first place and why we re-released them now. And some people have even wondered if we are simply motivated by jealousy of Flowers. We will address that last point first. We are not jealous of Ashley Flowers. True, she has a great deal of financial success, but she got that in part by stealing work from other people. We cannot live with ourselves if we got money because we took work from other people and signed our own names to it, and then failed to even apologize for those actions. We do not in the slightest envy her ill-gotten gains. The reason we reported on this situation is quite simple. We are close to a family whose daughter was murdered in the late 1970s. This particular case has never gotten the attention it deserves. Last year, a national television series decided they wanted to do an episode about the case. This development frankly meant the world to the family, particularly to the victim's mother, who was getting on in years. But there was a catch. The producers would only do the episode if a member of the Indiana State Police would agree to go on camera, if only to make a quick statement about how they still care about the case. Seemed like that would be an easy lift and it would have meant the world to the family. But the ISP said no. And according to our reporting, it was all because of the experience with Red Ball and Ashley Flowers. It frankly infuriated us that the ridiculous Indiana State Police, Bill Dalton, Ashley Flowers' Vandy Project, caused such real-world damage to people we care deeply about. This is what prompted us to do the episode. We want to stress that before we aired the episode last year, we reached out to Flowers, let her know our plans, offered detailed messages about what our episode would include, and both asked for an interview and offered her an opportunity to make a statement for us to use in the episode. We always want to be fair to the people that we cover, and so we gave her every opportunity to explain her perspective to us and to our audience. Let's take a quick detour to talk about something that is a bit related to all of this. Some of you may remember that back in August of 2021, we did an episode in which we criticized the way True Crime Garage covered Delphi in a couple of their programs. Before we aired those comments, we reached out to the captain, the co-host of that program. He agreed to come on our show to discuss it all. We had a pretty spirited discussion with him, but it was also respectful. After we recorded the show, we spent another few hours talking with him, 
We emerge from that experience with a better understanding of his point of view, and we tend to think he would say the same thing about understanding our point of view. Some people seem to feel that we and the captain are bitter enemies, but that is not the case. We respect the passion he has for the cases he covers, and value his perspective on true crime in general. We can disagree on some things and still think he's a good guy who we enjoy talking to. We mention this to highlight that some people actually do respond when you let them know you intend to be critical of them, and the end result may be a more positive experience than either party had anticipated. But the takeaway now is this. Giving people advance word of criticism you intend to make of them is the ethical and professional thing to do. Again, stick a pin in that. We will return to it later. Now, Flowers is out trying to get publicity wherever she can for the new book she produced with novelist Alex Keister. In an article that appeared in Elle magazine, Flowers... Well, let's be blunt. Flowers flat out lied, claiming that she never took anyone else's work and made it her own. That is just not true. And we have the interviews on our episode to prove it. We are realistic people. We know that Ashley Flowers is rich and famous and will likely never be held accountable for her ethical transgressions. But just the same... When someone tells lies to the public and we can prove it, we feel we have a moral responsibility to speak up. We wanted to remind people of exactly what happened and of the hurt Flowers caused. Hurt she has never even apologized for. Mysteries are at the heart of everything we do here on The Murder Sheet. But sometimes it's more fun to dive into a fictional caper. That's why we love the free-to-download hidden object game June's Journey. This game is our daily escape from waiting around in line, getting stuck on hold, and just general doldrums. It is great to be able to just knock out a few levels here and there. You'll get to discover your inner sleuth and sharpen your observational skills by finding clues hidden in each level. Plus, it's like dropping straight into your own cozy mystery novel. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective with a nose for trouble. You get to tackle all kinds of bizarre crimes across a series of elegant and memorable locales. Also, you have a side hustle decorating your own island estate. I love that. I bought a swan pond. She really did. Download this game for a built-in work break. It's a great mental health boost that makes you feel accomplished before you get back to tackling whatever task you have at hand. And remember, when you support our advertisers, you're supporting our show. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
Last week, we saw a comment on social media that said our Ashley Flowers episode explained Sarah Turney's, quote, seething hatred of Murder Sheet. We think this is actually worth taking just a few minutes to discuss. Sarah Turney, in case you don't know, is a figure in the true crime world who often talks about so-called true crime ethics and how there is a revolution coming on that front, supposedly, we guess, to be led by her. Because she talks so much about ethics, people have the impression that proper behavior is important to her, and therefore they take what she says quite seriously. After we released a number of widely cited episodes dealing with Keg and Klein and other aspects of the Delphi investigation, Sarah Turney asked her many Twitter followers how our reporting could possibly help the investigation. At that time, we also took Sarah Turney seriously as a voice for true crime ethics, and we respected her. So we reached out to her via multiple channels, offering to have a dialogue with her to address any concerns or questions she may have had about our work. Because the fact is that we had a great answer to her question. Someone at the highest level of the Indiana State Police investigation told us he appreciated our reporting, that our work actually resulted in the police receiving a number of very helpful tips on the case. Since Sarah Turney cares about the case, we thought she would want to know that we had it on excellent authority that our reporting helped the case. But she never got back to us. And that's fine. Everyone is allowed to have opinions. And of course, everyone is also allowed to ask questions. As long as you're not making false and harmful factual assertions. Lies, in other words. That brings us to the fall line. Sarah Turney appeared as a guest on that program, which is a podcast put together by Laura Norton and Brooke Hargrove. She went on to discuss ethics and the so-called true crime revolution. On this podcast, she made inflammatory statements about us that were completely untrue, statements that have resulted in us receiving an incredible amount of harassment behind the scenes. Neither she nor the fall line have expressed even the slightest interest in correcting the record. As you may remember, the transcript of a 2020 interview between Kagan Klein and police included some graphic descriptions of the content of child sexual abuse materials. What you don't know, because we have never publicly revealed this, is that one of us was directly harmed by a pedophile. We're not going to talk any more about that, but we will say that this experience prompted us to be extraordinarily careful with how we handled the Kagan Klein material. We therefore took the step of contacting the National Children's Alliance, an organization that works extensively in this field. And we asked their expert for guidance about what we should release, what we should redact, and how we should handle the whole thing. They told us that not discussing the issues at all could lead to child victims feeling unneeded shame, but that it was obviously important to protect the privacy of any children who may have become victims of Keg and Klein. Now, the descriptions of the images given in the transcript were vague enough so that no one could possibly identify them and connect them to any particular victim. That was clear. But identification was possible through another route. 
one that frankly we did not even consider before talking to the expert. There were names mentioned in this part of the transcript, but they were not names like John Smith. They were mostly names like John 3784. The expert told us that these were not the names of real people. That these were fake usernames employed by pedophiles to collect child sexual abuse materials online. We were told that it was incredibly important for us to redact all of these names. The reason for that was not to protect the pedophiles. The concern was that some of the victims might hear usernames they recognized and realize for the first time they'd been sending personal pictures to pedophiles. Getting that sort of information from listening to a podcast would clearly be horrible for them. We took that advice seriously, and to protect the child victims, we removed all usernames from the document. Then, as we said, Sarah Turney appeared on the fall line. The interviewer openly admitted she had not bothered to read the transcript we released and was relying on social media posts for her information. Sarah Turney professed to have some sort of inside information about our podcast and the transcript, but never bothered to explain what exactly that was. One interesting aspect of Turney's allegations is that they closely mirror accusations we got from one woman who's taken every effort to harass us and insert herself into the Delphi case, even going so far as to file a lawsuit against Carroll County, where Delphi is located, that was so frivolous that not only was it thrown out, but this woman was ordered to pay thousands of dollars to cover the county's legal fees. This woman did in fact write us before we released the transcript, claiming that the release would harm children. This person claimed to be a mental health professional, despite the fact she's used slurs to describe people with special needs on the internet. Emails from this woman have also shown up on Reddit, and in these messages, she writes with enthusiasm about her plan to contact Barbara McDonald of HLN to spread negative misinformation about us. It would be a colossal error to rely on this woman's information or judgment, and we can only hope that Turney did not do so. We didn't, which is why we instead went to verified experts in the field to help us shape our coverage. In any case, Turney and the host of The Fall Line went on to suggest that we were hurting the case. Again, someone at the very highest level of the investigation personally told us we helped the case. But then Turney went even further. She specifically said that the two of us knew child victims of Keg and Klein would recognize themselves in the transcript and be harmed by our publication of it. In short, she was saying that we were re-victimizing child sexual abuse survivors. That is, in our mind, just about the worst thing you can say about someone. And it is flat out untrue. As we mentioned, one of us was directly harmed by a pedophile. This is a subject we take extraordinarily seriously. We have explained that we consulted with experts and followed their advice on how to protect the child victims in this case. It is also important to note that we run things by law enforcement before reporting them. In this case, we let them know about what we had and how we planned to use it before we published it. Police suggested making certain redactions, and we followed their advice. In other words, the experts and the police did not see any problem with our reporting. Reputable news outlets who picked up this story 
also did not see a problem with our reporting. It's interesting that the people who seem to have the biggest problem with us chose to base their opinions on Reddit conversations and secondhand accounts rather than on the reporting itself. Because if Turney had listened to the episode, or had even bothered to respond to our offers to discuss it with her, she would have realized that the inflammatory and reckless things she said about us were lies. We want to stress that there has been fallout from this for us. We now regularly get emails from people who reference Turney's reckless words and accuse us of harming child sexual abuse victims. As we have said, we have a personal connection to that subject, and getting such emails is incredibly upsetting to us. We have explained that we go to great lengths to ensure that everything we say on our podcast is true. It would have been nice if Turney had made any sort of effort to verify her wild accusation. If she is an ethical person, as she claims, she would admit she made a mistake and correct the record. The fall line also frequently touts its own commitment to ethics. We're fascinated by the fact that a show that repeatedly calls attention to its own high ethical standards would run an inaccurate, inflammatory interview like this without once reaching out to the subjects of the conversation. We have written to the fall line and to Turney about all of this and about the harassment caused by their decision to spread misinformation. Neither of them has ever bothered to respond in any fashion whatsoever. This, quite simply, is not how ethical people behave. It is instead the actions of bullies, who seek to avoid accountability while at the same time lecturing others on their alleged failings. Frankly, it has always seemed puzzling to us that Turney, who speaks so loudly about the so-called missteps of others, never seems to have a word of criticism for Ashley Flowers, who has of course stolen work from others and left many families feeling exploited. This curious silence on Turney's part became much less mysterious after a recent article in Elle magazine revealed that Turney and Flowers are so close that Turney has spent Christmas with Flowers. We'll also note that Turney sits on the board of Season of Justice, Flowers' own nonprofit. We don't know if that's a paid or unpaid position, given that Season of Justice hasn't filed any tax documents that have been made public yet. We do know that Turney has often publicly commented about how multimillionaire slash serial plagiarist Flowers has helped her in her own career. We think it is fair to say that no one who has a sincere interest in and commitment to true crime ethics would ever form a professional connection with Ashley Flowers or Audio Chuck. We don't know why Turney chose to tell lies about us. Of course, we can speculate that it is because we chose to air the ethical failings of her dear friend Ashley Flowers, but perhaps she has another reason altogether. In any case, her failure to research before she spoke, and more importantly, her choice not to correct the record after learning of the real harms caused by her deceptive comments about us, reveal much more about Turney and her agenda. We mentioned that there was a time we took Turney seriously and respected her, and so offered to have a private dialogue with her. Now that we know more about her, that offer for a private talk is off the table. But we would be delighted to have a public talk with her on our show at any time, where we can have a vigorous discussion about what ethics and responsibility actually mean. Meanwhile, if you see Turney or the fall line criticizing others, we would encourage you to be skeptical. 
because there is a decent chance that the attacks they are making are utterly fictitious. And it is also possible that the real sin of their latest target is that they have done something to displease Ashley Flowers or another well-connected friend. With all of that said, some of the things Turney has said about issues in the true crime space are valid. But her approach is clearly not helpful or productive towards achieving what she claims are her goals. Frankly, we feel Kelsey German Siebert's approach on these issues does far more good. Kelsey reaches out to the people she feels have made mistakes, and she has a constructive discussion with them on how they can make their coverage more sensitive to the families of crime victims. Of course, as bad as it is to see this behavior from media figures, it's worse when you're dealing with public institutions that fail to take accountability. After all that has come out about Red Ball, we frankly feel it is a disgrace that Bill Dalton is still in charge of the Burger Chef case. With that said, we need to stress that we do not have a problem with ISP as a whole. It is a large organization filled with lots of dedicated people. Bill Dalton screwed up badly, but his failures do not stain the entire organization. The fact that he remains the lead detective on the case does, though, frankly. And to be honest, some weird stuff has definitely happened behind the scenes. We learn, for instance, that one high-ranking member of the organization kept printouts of a Facebook post I wrote about Burger Chef back in 2019. We also heard that someone from the ISP Public Information Office was angrily calling around, asking people if I was involved in an upcoming documentary on Burger Chef. It is obviously improper for law enforcement to go around seeking information about a citizen's private business. We also know that the ISP is trying hard to figure out who our sources are in the Delphi case. We respectfully suggest that the ISP should consider being less obsessed with Kevin Greenlee and the work of journalists and more focus on actually solving crimes. Now, people assume that since the ISP is the public face of Delphi, that they hold responsibility for any errors made in the investigation. That is not quite true. Behind the scenes, you hear quite a bit of chatter about an entirely different agency making some serious mistakes in this case. That agency is the FBI. We've learned of one such mistake. We've confirmed it. Now we are finishing up a report on it. We expect there to be interesting times ahead in the Delphi case. But at the moment, our plans are to bring you that episode sometime in the next two weeks. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So, if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. 
To keep up with the latest on the murder sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet and on Facebook at M Sheet Podcast or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to the murder sheet, please leave us a five star review to help us gain more exposure and send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.